0: The reading today is Galatians 5, verses 1 to 15. Galatians 5, verses 1 to 15. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command: "Love your neighbor as yourself." If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. This is God's word.
1: Do you ever read the Bible and think that's a bit odd? <laughs> do you ever do that? Read the Bible and think, "Oh my goodness me, I don't quite want it. circumcision." There's a man who's quite angry. He's saying, "Why don't they just go and chop themselves off?" Uh, what's going on here? Let's, um, let's pray. Let's pray that God would help us understand. Our Father, at first glance, these may uh, seem very distant ideas from where we live in 21st century London. Would you help us to understand them rightly? Would you help us to see that these are enormously practical truths that have a massive impact upon the way we live each? And every day, would you help us to see how practical these are so that we live rightly, we live wisely, we live in freedom. Help us this morning, we pray. Amen. So we're now back in this book of Galatians. And if you remember, or uh, let me tell you, uh, the letter, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul in the first century to, uh, to churches in this uh, region of Turkey. And essentially he's writing to counter, uh, contradict an error that's being made. So some uh, false teachers who've got the uh, Christian message wrong have come along to this church in the first century. And they've been saying, false teachers, What you need to do is you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you have to obey certain rules, and then you'll be saved. So faith in Christ plus obedience equals salvation. That's their equation. That's wrong. That's the wrong equation. And to which Paul has written in response, no. Place your faith in Jesus Christ, that he died in your place on the cross. That alone. Put your faith in him. That's it. You're saved. That's it. That's it. Now, that'll, that'll work its way out in obedience. But faith in Christ, that's salvation. Done. That's what he's been uh, uh, explaining. So, essentially here, as you see, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, don't give up your freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Don't give that up. And, as I say, he feels very strongly about it. Tells those who uh, who view differently to him to not just insist upon circumcision, but to... Menu, dismember themselves. It's quite hat up. Christ has freedom for Christ has freed us for freedom, not duty. Now, I wonder if you see the sort of issue that this might uh, throw up, which really chapters five and six of the letter address. If Jesus Christ, if faith in Jesus Christ, that means you're saved forever and ever. Why, why obey God? I mean, you place your faith in Jesus Christ, trust that he died for you, and you'll go to heaven. Why obey him? Why bother? Why give up things for him? If I put it starkly, why have you bothered coming this morning? You're there. You place your faith in Jesus, you're there. Or uh, let me try and put it slightly differently. When I was a school teacher a number of years ago, the uh, the last school I taught in probably about half my timetable, was sixth formers, so 17-, 18-year-olds. And um, I don't make a big fuss about it, but the the policy of the time was to move to modular A-levels, crazy system. But it basically meant that instead of just sitting exams at the end of your two years, 17-, 18-year-olds, you kept sitting them. Uh, Every summer and every January you'd sit exams. Now, there were some good things about this, but the real problem as a teacher was this, that the most able children... They could sit their exams in the January of their final year of school and pass their A-levels. So the university of their choice, they might want to go to Oxford and they're required to get three A's in their A-levels. And by the January of their final year, they've got them. They've taken enough exams, they've got three A's. Now, what do they do for the next few months? Now, these are, you know... Nice children, nice, bright, but even the very best. They've passed their A-levels. What do you think they do for the next few months? How good was their attendance? Wasn't so great. How good was their behavior? Not so attentive. You know, I, you know if they did deign to, uh, to turn up at school, I'd say, well, you know, come on, let's put some effort in. But, sir, why? We're in. I've got the grades. doesn't matter what I do now. Why, why am I here? Because um, you got bored at home, probably. But why am I here? Okay, and I try and persuade them. Well, there's still things for you to learn. I'm a history and politics teacher. There's still quite a lot of history you can learn. Yeah, but I'm in. So I don't care. Useless, useless. Now, it, in a sense, is that true of the Christian life? You place your faith in Jesus Christ and trust that in doing so, you'll go to be with him for, for eternity. Why why bother living a moral life now? Why bother obeying God here and now? Do you see the issue? Do you see the question? Uh, really, it's chapters five and six of uh, this letter that that pursue this in some detail. Um, we're going to spend a few months here, but today we're just going to look really at verses uh, one to seven of uh, chapter five. And I want to say two things. Two things really that Paul says in this uh, little section. He's going to say, "Don't lose your freedom." But secondly, don't abuse your freedom. Don't lose it. Don't give it up. But don't abuse it either. Don't just do whatever takes your fancy. Let's uh, take them in turn and uh, hopefully they'll make sense. First then, uh, don't lose your freedom. Chapter 5, verse 1. Paul writes this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You were going well, don't, don't give up on your freedom, don't go back to being a slave. Or similarly, verse 7, you were running a good race, things were going well. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? Always going well, but it's gone wrong. Now, what's the issue? What are they getting wrong? Why are they giving up their freedom and going for a path of slavery? Okay, verses 2 and 3. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised... Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, he's required to obey the whole law. Now, I mean, really, so what? What's the big deal about circumcision? A little cut here, or maybe not. Who, who cares? Well, the issue is just one example that Paul is taking, circumcision. The issue uh, back then in, in these churches was that these false teachers said, okay, you've got your faith in Jesus Christ, good. Now, add to it a number of rules. Here are a lot of laws that you have to keep if you want to grow in the Christian faith, if you want to push on in the Christian faith. There are a lot more rules. You need to, and circumcision was just the, the most obvious one that was being t- spoken at the time. So he just picks this uh, as an example. Now, whether you get circumcised or not, I, you know, that's your business. Uh, but Paul would say it's the insistence upon it that matters. Don't insist. Don't say you must keep this law. That's where it goes wrong. There are two ways of relating to God. One is just freely accepting, trusting in Jesus Christ, a way of Faith and freedom. The other way is trusting in your own actions. So why is circumcision so bad? Well, you see, it comes up in verse 4. Let me read from verse 3 to make sense. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, he's required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. You can either relate to God on the basis of what he's done Grace, or you relate on the how, what you do, your own performance, a way of law. Think of it this way. A man has a mortgage, uh, and the mortgage is half a million pounds. And so every month he uh, pays his bank uh, two and a half thousand pounds uh, by way of repayment uh, every month, and that goes out. And uh, he's used to that, and that's fine, and that's just what you have to do. Uh, but one day he gets a letter through the post from the bank and thinks, well, it's bound not to be good news. They never write to me with nice news. Uh, but he opens it, and it's, uh, it's a sort of glittery letter, and it's all very exciting. And many congratulations. You know, oh, what is this? Uh, we have had a random prize draw for our loyal customers. And uh, congratulations, you've won. And we are wiping away your mortgage. It's gone. Half a million pounds, just gone. We've, we've written it off. Congratulations. You are completely free. And he thinks, oh, that's nice. That's very nice. But, uh, so he goes to his uh, online banking and cancels his uh, uh, direct debit that goes out every month to the bank. But he just thinks, you know, I ought to do something. I mean, two and a half thousand pounds, okay, I don't have to uh, pay that anymore. But let me just leave a little standing order there. I feel, just in case they've made a mistake, um, let me just, I'll just... A pound a month just keeps on going out to the bank. I mean, it's neither here nor there. It doesn't really affect me, but just a little bit keeps going out. Because I'm, I'm a bit uncomfortable with this whole thing being written off. So just a little bit goes out every month. Now, he is still relating to the bank as a debtor. The debt may have been reduced all the way down to something tiny, pitiful, a pound a month. But he's still relating... As a debtor, he's not relating as one who is free. And that's the issue here, says Paul. You, have, you can walk two paths. You either relate to God on the basis you're free. Jesus has paid everything. Or you relate as a debtor. You might say Jesus has paid most of it, but I'm just going to pay a little bit, just a little bit, just in case. But that's a completely different way of relating to God. He's paid everything or he's paid most of it. And I'm going to pay a little bit off myself. Now, those are two different paths you're walking. One is freedom. One is slavery and debt. And you see here, the Galatians were walking down this second path of slavery. So uh, verse four, you who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. They're going a long way down this path. They've abandoned a path of freedom, going for a path of slavery. Now, later on, verse 10, he says, look, I think you'll come back. But they've walked a long way down this path. Now, let's try and get um, uh, perhaps a little more up to date, because not many of us are tempted by the circumcision route. But what does this look like uh, in modern times? Let me give you an institutional example and then a, a perhaps more personal one. The institutional example would be this. And um, do come back at me afterwards, and this may be sensitive for some, but uh, since 2000, the year 2000, official official, uh, Roman Catholic theology has been to grant indulgences again. Now, an indulgence, if you perform a certain activity, the thinking goes, the Pope will grant you an indulgence, And it'll get you time off purgatory. Thinking is, if in Roman Catholic thinking you die, you'll probably have to spend some time in purgatory, the doctor's waiting room, before you go to heaven. Because you won't have paid off everything. Now, if you perform certain things, so the first time this came up in 2000, uh, Pope John Paul said, look, if you come to Rome in the year 2000, you'll get time off purgatory. And so lots of people did. And uh, since then, Pope Benedict got very excited about this idea. And uh, there have been lots and lots of indulgences. The last one was uh, 2009. If you went to the church of uh, St. Paul in Rome, again, you'd get time off purgatory. Now, this is uh, it's complete nonsense, by the way. Completely unbiblical, this idea. There is no, thing, no such thing as the Bible would say as purgatory. It just doesn't exist as a place. But you see what's happened in this scheme of thinking Jesus has died for me, that's nice. But I've still got something to pay. I've still got purgatory to pay. And if I go and visit Rome, I get time off. I contribute. Do You see, you're still relating to God as a debtor. It's still what you do is slavery. Now, this is quite a, uh, a relatively new thing. Uh, the whole Reformation in the 16th century, started by Martin Luther, was against this very issue, indulgences. That's why there was the big reformation, the the split in history. And for hundreds of years, this had not taken place. So this is quite a new development again in Roman Catholic thinking, relating to God as slaves. I'm in your debt, God. Can I buy off some time in purgatory? It's a root of slavery. It's not a root of freedom, as Paul is saying. Now, that might be an issue for some. Uh, perhaps I was, let's try and uh, apply it more personally, make it relevant for, for everyone, wherever you're coming from. Let me ask you this question How much is God on your side, do you think? Sort of 90%, 95%. How do you, when you think of God, if you think of God, when you, how much is he on your side? Does he quite like you? Does he like you a lot? How, how much he has got on his side? Do you think you can tip him over to being completely on your side? So I think even lots of Christians think this sort of way. God, God is on my side mostly, 95%. And if this week I pray more than I normally do and um, help people more than I normally do, I can probably tip over into the 100% category and then God is completely on my side if I do those things. Again, that's that's drifting down the route of slavery. The Christian is one who knows, Jesus Christ has paid everything for me. God loves me 100%. I cannot persuade him to love me more. I can't. There's no more of him to give. He loves me 100%. If my faith is in Jesus Christ. And now here's the the killer which gets me. If, If you think that anything you do persuades God to love you more, you're not doing it for him, you're doing it for you. If you think that praying, coming to church, makes God happier with you, you're not doing it for him. You're doing it for you. Let me try and explain. Uh, you, um, you meet a couple, uh, a young couple engaged to be married. And uh, they, are, they are clearly smitten and sort of a little gooey, but, you know, that's nice at their age. They're smitten and excited. And uh, the, the fiancé, the, the bloke, he is absolutely devoted to this girl. And he drives up and down the country to see her. He he spends time with all the awkward in-laws to future. They can't believe how patient he is with great-aunt Agatha, who really is, to be honest, a bit of a pain. Uh, He is kind to her. He he lavishes gifts upon her. Uh, He lavishes flowers. He he crawls on on, on his knees with jewellery in his mouth to bestow gifts upon his beloved. And you think, this man is absolutely besotted with her. Um, He loves her. And that's quite sweet at their age. Yeah, and it's besotted. But then you overhear the uh, the fiance on the phone to a friend, and the, he says, "Yes, yeah, she's all right. She's all right. I'm only really marrying her for the inheritance. I'm only marrying her because, you know, in a couple of years' time, the trust fund cracks open and she's worth millions. Now, that changes how you think of the bloke, doesn't it? No longer is he devoted and in love and serving his future wife. He's just serving himself. It's all about him. It's all about what he'll get. And if, if you have the mindset where I can persuade God to love me, you're not doing it for him. You're doing it for you. It's about what you can get and you can gain. And that's a path of slavery. So if you you think along the lines of, I'll, um, I'll please God by going to church, by praying, by giving to charity, by not lying. If you think your behavior gets God on your side, you're not serving him. You're just serving you. That's what's going on. So don't lose your slavery. Slavery is, I... Hope I can make God happy with me. I hope I can persuade God to love me. I hope I can get God on my side. Freedom is God loves me and he can't love me anymore. I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ. God loves me 100%. That's brilliant. I'm thrilled. Slavery, freedom. Don't give up your freedom. Don't lose it, says Paul. There's his first uh, big idea going on here. Secondly, let's turn to the other side. Don't abuse your freedom. So we said don't lose it. Don't, don't go to a path where you're, you're, you think you can persuade God. But don't abuse your freedom. If you've understood, I'm free. I'm free in Jesus Christ. I, I'm not obliged to do anything. Don't abuse that. Don't be like my, um, my school children that I used to teach and not bother turning up to school and break all the rules because they're in. doesn't matter. Don't, don't be like that. Why not? Why don't Christians live that way? Well, uh, let me give you a little, another sort of little equation and show you how that's what the text says. The answer is, why don't Christians live just however they might want to choose? The answer is, God's spirit uses faith to produce love and obedience. The Spirit of God, living in a Christian, uses faith in Jesus Christ to produce love and obedience. Let me show you that's what's going on here. So, uh, verse 5. But, okay, but, here's the better way of living. But, but by faith, we Christians eagerly await Through the Spirit, the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Let me go for the the relevant bits here. Verse 5. By faith, through the Spirit, verse 6, we love. Uh, Verse 5. Let me rearrange the order, how it uh, is uh, in the original language. We, by the Spirit... By faith, love. That's what's going on. We, by the Spirit, by faith, love. So the difference, why it is that a Christian is not like a schoolboy who's got his exam marks and therefore can do what he wants. God's Spirit uses faith and it is by faith that we'll want to live a life of obedience. Let me try and explain that uh, a bit like this. Uh, this is a true story, which I'm then going to push uh, a little bit. So uh, recently, so, uh, a friend of ours, uh, he's a GP and uh, works uh, in a GP practice and uh, works uh, sort of part-time to uh, help with childcare. Um, recently the, uh, he had a letter from, th- come through from, uh, the, from the practice that he works for, from the senior partner, and uh, the letter is quite simply stated, uh, we've been overpaying you for the last few years you owe us, the partners, £90,000 and uh, the two GPs in the room smile, thinking, well I hope it doesn't happen to me, it's not you, it's not in this church um, uh, £90,000, gosh, that's a a significant amount of money, so he just sat on the letter for a while, didn't share it with his wife, because it terrified him. What do I do with this letter? I owe £90,000. We haven't got £90,000 in the bank. What do I do with that? How, how am I going to pay that off? I could work it but that mean having to do another, day or another extra day in the surgery for the next three years or something to pay off. That's, oh, my goodness me, £90,000. How am I going to do this? What am I going to do? I am in debt, and I am in trouble. What do I do with that? So goes to a meeting with a senior partner of, uh, uh, in the GP practice, uh, who then says, yeah, you owe £90,000. You could pay that off either with a lump sum or you could work for the next three years, another day, another uh, shift. That would do it. But I'm going to pay it for you. I'm going to wipe off your £90,000. Just going to wipe it out. Why? I like you, and I'm going to do that because I, I like you. Gosh. Now, how does, how does uh, the guy in this, uh, Rob, our friend, the GP, how does he, what does he then think? Gosh, I've, wow, that's, that's really very generous. Uh, the following week, uh, the senior partner says, Rob, I need, I need to have this day off. Can you come and uh, work an extra day for me? But listen, Rob. Listen very carefully. You are under no obligation to do it. You owe me nothing. You no obligation. Don't feel that because of what happened last week, you really ought to. Completely up to you. Can you cover this shift? You'll have to do, you know, see double the number of uh, patients that day. Now, how does Rob feel in that? Okay, I'm under no obligation to do it, but I think you're terrific. I've always quite liked you as a boss. And now, in a male sort of way, I love you. You're just so generous. You're so kind. I am un- There's no obligation. I see that. I've heard you say that. But I'm going to work for you. Do you want me to work another shift? I don't care. I think you're terrific. That sort of generosity is unprecedented in a boss. And uh, I'll work for you. Yeah, whenever you want. You see, it's, it's just gratitude that makes Rob want to work that way, not a feeling of obligation. The boss has been very clear, don't do it because you feel obliged, only if you want to. But Rob says, yeah, I want to, because you're very, very generous. Let me try and unpack that a little bit more. Let me try and distinguish between a, a, a slave-like obedience and a free obedience, a slave-like and free obedience. Now, this is sort of a slave-like thinking. A slave says, Jesus has saved me, that's good news. But now he says, obey me, well, that's bad news. I like the first bit, I don't like the second bit. The second bit's just destroyed the good news, stuff that. I don't really like that. Have you ever found yourself, if you're a Christian, thinking that? Jesus has died for me, that's terrific. He says, now come follow me. Mm, that's a bit inconvenient sometimes. Do you ever think that way? That's slave-like thinking. What's going wrong there? A couple of things at least are going wrong. The first would be, if you view obedience to Jesus Christ as a burden, here's the first thing that's probably going wrong. You've just switched your debtor. In your head, what you've done is thought to yourself, I, I, was, uh, uh, I owed a debt to my sin that I couldn't pay. Jesus has paid that debt. Now I owe Jesus you just switched your debtor. It's like having, you know, owing 10,000 pounds to American Express and just thinking, oh, I'm fed up with them. I'm going to whack it all on Barclay card instead. You've just switched debtors. And sometimes Christians can think that way. I was enslaved by sin. I, there was a debt to sin. But Jesus has taken that. Now I owe Jesus. And then what does that mean? It means that when Jesus says, come obey, you think to yourself, well, I guess I ought to. I and mean, I do owe him. So I guess I ought to. I don't really want to. You just switch debtors. It's still a burden. If obedience, sorry, genuine gratitude is not the feeling of I owe you. A genuine gratitude to Jesus Christ is I love you. And therefore, of course, I want to serve you. So there's the first reason reason that obedience becomes some kind of burden. Uh, The second one is is just forgetting God's power. So again, verse 5. By faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit. God is at work in believers. So the mistake comes if we think to ourselves, in the past, God helped me out. Jesus died for me. Now in the present, it's all down to me. And you know what? It's, it's, uh, it's hard work sometimes. It's hard work doing the right thing. We're just forgetting that God is at work now. Even as a Christian, the good things we do today, we're not paying God back. Because the good we do today is still empowered by his spirit. It's him at work in us. We're not paying off debts. He is still at work. So if you find yourself thinking, as a Christian, you know, following Jesus, it's quite hard work. Well, there's at least two reasons for that. You've just switched your debt. You think you owe him. And he doesn't want that. He doesn't want you feeling like you owe him. He just wants your thanks. And secondly, you're forgetting, you're thinking you're going to have to grind out obedience in your own strength. You saying, don't do that. Do it in my strength. That's where things are going wrong. So that's slave-like obedience. Free obedience is the spirit uses faith to energize our obedience, our love here and now. So question. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, What do we do if we want to grow in Christian maturity? What do we do? We need the Spirit to use faith so that we desire to obey. That's what's going on here in uh, verses 4 and 5. Or just one little quick uh, cross-reference back, if you were here before, chapter 3, verse 5. Chapter 3, verse 5. Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Why does God, how does God give his spirit so that believers have strength, power to live differently? Is it because you just grind out obedience and work really hard, or is it because you hear you hear what Jesus Christ has done for you and you think that's extraordinary? I want to obey. And it's the latter. Let me try and put it this way. The most miserable Bible study I think I've ever led, in my mind, and there may have been worse. But the most miserable Bible study I think I've ever led in this church was a few years ago. It was in the Old Testament, the Book of Judges. And halfway through, one of the people there just said, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? The New Testament I get, it has lots of helpful advice. The Old Testament doesn't have advice. Why are we doing this? And the answer is. Because what you need is faith. You don't need good advice. You can go and read that in magazines in in WH Smith. You don't need good advice. You need power. You need power to live a different life. That comes by faith. The spirit uses faith to empower, energize, produce, love and obedience. So why do you study the Old Testament? To grow your faith. Why do you study the New Testament? To grow your faith. You don't need advice. You need faith. That'll empower uh, obedience to be able to live differently. So my friend Rob, the GP, why does he now want to live, give himself to his boss? Because he's seen what his boss is like and thinks, that's extraordinary. Yeah, I'll live for you. Not because I'm obliged, because you're great. I'll live for you because you're great. And that's the Christian life. That's the Christian life. When we understand what Jesus Christ has done, that grows our faith. And we'll look at him and think, you're fantastic. You died for me? Really? And what do I have to do now? Nothing? I owe you nothing? That's extraordinary. I'll live for you. I'll do anything for you. I'll live for you now. Uh, we won't have it sung now, but there's a, uh, the, uh, the musicians are sick. But uh, there's a song on your sheet. There's a, as a, we have it as a solo. But let me just uh, flag it up so we can at least read it. Here is a one writer expressing this in song. To see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. Do you see what he's saying? I look upon, there are all these rules and all these things I'm obliged to do, but Jesus has done them all for me. I hear him say, well, you, you failed to obey God and you should be punished for that. But I, no, I pardon you completely. You're free. You're absolutely free. I hear that, he says, and no longer do I relate to God as a slave. No longer do I think I owe you. Maybe I can persuade you. I look at you now, God, and think, "Well, that's wonderful. I want to follow you. I want to." My my whole attitude, my heart, my motive has changed
0: completely.
1: So, do you see? Don't lose your freedom. Don't lose your freedom. Don't lose it. Don't relate to God as a debtor, as if you owe him, as if you can persuade him to change his mind towards you. That is, that is a root of slavery. Don't give up the freedom you have, but don't abuse it either. Don't be like the schoolboy who says, well, you know, I've passed, so what? But by faith, look at what Jesus Christ has done for you, if you're a believer. Look at that. And that changes how you think. It changes how you feel. It changes how you desire to live. Look at him. Now let me, final, last thing to say. Certainly if... um, if you're a Christian here this morning, most of us relate in one of these two ways. We kind of lose a bit of freedom or we abuse freedom. It may be temperamental. We lean one way or the other. Some of us are very clever and manage to do both, back and forth. And uh, we relate to God on the basis of, look, can I just persuade you to be, Can I just persuade you this week to love me a little bit more? And we forget he loves us completely. Or then we drift to the other side and think, well, I'm free. Who cares? Who gives us stuff? It doesn't matter if I disobey God. It doesn't matter if I... Well, we relate in one of those two. We can flit. What do we do? Look at him. As we're seeing in a moment, look at him. Look up. Before the throne of God above, there's Jesus Christ. Look at him. And if your faith is in him, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Look at him. He sat down. He says, I've done everything for you. Rest in me. Trust in me. And the more you do that, the more you'll want to. Serve me, love me. So this week, you you can tell if you've got this. When uh, when someone rings up this week and says, "Um, "Listen, I've got to, you know, can I have an hour to chat to you on the phone?" Now, if you're relating on the basis of slavery, you think to yourself, "I really don't want to do that. You're encroaching upon my freedom." But if you're relating in freedom, so you relate, you're relating, encroaching on my free time. But if you're thinking as a son in freedom, you think, well, that's a bit of a shame. I had things to do with my hour, but I know what Jesus has done for me. And so, yeah, I want to love you. I want to love you. Someone rings up and says, can you come and help me on Saturday morning? I need to uh, uh, move a load of stuff. I need to paint a room. I need some help. Can you come and help me? Now, you could think, well, I'm a Christian. I ought to. I don't want to. It's a bit of a pain. It's a bit of a nuisance. But, you know, I am a Christian, so I suppose I'd better do so. Well, that's a root of slavery. That's a slavish thinking. Or you could think to yourself, well, yeah, that's inconvenient. But Jesus died for me. I owe him everything. And not because I owe him, not because I'm obliged, but because I think he's fantastic. I'm going to go and love that person. What do we need to do? We need to believe. We need to have faith in Jesus Christ. Because, verse 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Faith that energizes love. Faith that empowers our love. So look to him, grow your faith, and then you'll want to love. It's very easy, isn't it? It takes a lifetime. Let's pray together. Now, Father, these things are very counterintuitive to us. We love to think that it's how we perform that will earn us favor with you. We, we find it confusing, perhaps, that you've done everything. You place no obligations upon us. You give us free salvation. But would that truth so sink into our hearts that we desire to love you? We desire to love others. Would we be captivated by the work of Jesus Christ, we pray? Amen.